You are listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by Birmingham Live. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Claret and Blue. We're joined by an absolute legend, hero, inspiration, Mr. Stillian Stan Petrov. How are you, Stan? I'm good, lad. How are you? Long time. It has been a while, actually. We were just um, we were just debating before we before we jumped on the call. I think the last time that I actually spoke to you, we had a little kind of kick about at Bodymore on some some uh, new kit launch. I think a couple of years ago. Um, Dan Dan will put it drop it back in in the edit later. But there's a there's a clip. I'm about two stone heavier than I am now, <laughs> and I think you just you just, little cheeky nutmeg there. You just absolutely ruined me. It's just lucky one. It's just lucky one, Matt. Oh, look at this one. Well, listen, I haven't seen you for years and uh, it's always been a pleasure to talk to you because uh, you'll be a great man and you have great manners and you, you ask the, a good question, which is something different, which I always enjoy talking to you. But I haven't seen you for a while. What I've seen, you've been very active on, on Twitter, which I like to see. <laughs> no, that's, that's, that's made me blush now. That is you say <laughs> words about me. I'm supposed to be saying the nice things about you. Um, what we're going to do, because the, the, the Stylian Petrov story, and rightly so, has been told by many journalists many times uh, and what a story it is. But rather than us doing it the traditional way, we've got a, a, a random mug of questions and we're going to pull questions out and jump from one place to the next. So one minute it could be Martin O'Neill. The next minute it could be you having a kickabout for a Sunday league team. You comfortable if we do it like that? Yeah, of course. That's, that looks quite interesting. So I'm looking forward to it. Let's see what the first one we get. Right, let's delve in here. I bet it'll be a really terrible one. Mind you, most of them are terrible, so let's have a look. <laughs> have you read them? I've, re- I've written them down myself, <laughs> yeah. So um, when people stop you in the street, what's the most common thing they say to you? You know, Matt, these days is how are you? How's your health? Uh, nobody asks anymore about, uh, about my career and what I'm doing at the moment. Everybody wants to know about how I'm feeling, if I'm healthy, if everything is behind me. Uh, unfortunately, that's what I uh, came to. And, uh, you know, I just had to accept it. it was really difficult at the start because when you've given everything uh, to become a footballer, when you give all your youth to work and develop and uh, have only one target uh, and one direction to become uh, a top athlete, and all of a sudden that's been taken away for you and the only question you get is how's your health? How are you? Um, it's it's really painful, but in, a, in the same hand, in the other hand, uh, you know, it's good because I can answer with uh, with a great answer. With I'm well, and everything is going well, which uh, which was very difficult for me to accept at the start. Which is a great question to start with. Well, you won't get that question now because you've already already answered it, and I'm really chuffed that you you are in good health and you, you're looking great, mate. To be honest, Be- before we carry on, actually. Uh, uh, the Christmas tree, I've got a strict rule in the Kendrick house that until December the 1st, the Christmas tree stays up the loft. So what, what's the thinking beyond get, getting getting the tree up early, Stan? You know, after after everything we've been through this year, uh, I think every single person and around the world with uh, the COVID and all the issues, uh, we just wanted to find something positive, something quite interesting for the kids, you know, to get the Christmas tree, get them earlier, get uh, the festive uh, mood starting quite early and just get something that you can look forward to because I don't think that uh, we could look any any we couldn't look forward to anything in 2019 so at least we want to finish in the right way at least we want to 
finish it happy, smiling, and uh, this is something we decided to do quite early. While we're talking about Christmas, I'm going to break, break my own rules now, and I know this question is lurking in the mug somewhere, but I'm going to ask it now anyway, because it seems the right you place. Can, you, can't, you can't ask that question. You say you're only going to ask the question from the mug. <laughs> it's my rules. That's my, my rules. That's fine. So just, just this one. What, what does Stylian Petrov want for Christmas? What kind of things do you ask for, and what kind of things do you get? Health and togetherness. That's what I like. Health, personally, as a family, and togetherness with everybody around the world. Because it looks like in the last year or so, with everything that is going on, I think everybody's pulling in a different direction, rather than pulling in the same direction, which is which is, is really hard to see. But I hope the togetherness will be togetherness and health. That's what I'll say. That's a really nice answer, but you must get some a couple of pairs of socks and a DVD as well, haven't you? You know, I've, I've, uh, we, me and my wife, we always talk about, you know, Christmas presents and what we should buy each other. So we decided that way. We just, no surprises. We're just going to pick our own presents. We're going to wrap it up and that. And I've only asked for one thing, and that's uh, a, a trolley for my golf. That's what I said. Right. I, 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 that's what I said. I don't want anything else. I, I had enough of uh, carrying. I, I, I need a trolley. So she promised me. Uh, that she'll get me a trolley. I have to choose it, and uh, she'll just order it. So nice and simple. No complication in our life. I don't need any more complications and surprises, Matt. <laughs> Let's have a look at this next question that I've, I've managed to pull out then. What was it like coaching under under Tim Sherwood? And did you prefer coaching the first team under Sherwood or when you were doing the youth team stuff under Paul Lambert? Very, very, a question which have different answers. But for me, it was a great experience to work uh, under um, Tim Sherwood uh, in the first team. Uh, I've learned a lot. Uh, he was really good to me. Obviously, at that time, I was coming back from a, a very difficult battle, uh, my personal battle. So he was very kind. He was very good. Uh, he, he gave me a lot of responsibilities, which I really enjoy. Uh, and the main thing that season that we managed to stay up and the team was uh, starting to play really well at the end of the season. Then uh, when he, he left and Paul, Paul Lambert took uh, took over, then um, what happened is uh, he offered me a role under under 23, working with Gordon, Gordon Counts, which for me was, uh, was a completely different dynamic in the club. Uh, I had the pleasure to work with uh, young uh, young players with the players who are looking to to break into the first team. And for me, I had to deal with those players more mentally than anything else because they didn't feel that there was a, a pathway or, or, the, or they can make in the first team. So as much as you had to work with them and develop them on the, on a pitch, you have to work with them uh, psychologically as well. So for me, it was a completely different experience. But I, I enjoyed the both roles uh, uh, as well because... Uh, around, I was around football. I was on a pitch. I could coach. I could speak with the players. I was in, in the dressing room environment, environment uh, as well. So for me, it was a, 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 for me, it was a very good learning curve, and I really enjoyed it. Was it strange going back into the first team scene when there'd be only, only a handful, but there'd be two or three players who you'd have been teammates with and then you've got to suddenly kind of be, be a bit like the kind of school teacher I suppose. Yeah, it was, it was really difficult and uh, the boys were still accepting me with one of them and uh, you know, they still wanted to have a banter but for me I had to understand very quickly the the, the fine line between being a coach and being a, a, a former teammate or, or being their teammate so I had to understand that uh, the dynamic of uh, that kind of um, 
process. Uh, but, but the funny things uh, for me was, uh, Matt, was about understanding what coaching is all about and how to deal with different individuals. And for me, it was, it was a great time at Villa. And you know what? If, um, if I was healthier and I had more energy, I would never come out. But it came way too early for me because to be involved in an academy or being involved in a first team, you need to be full of energy. You need to be upbeat. You need to be going with a smile every, every morning. So for me, it was very difficult. And that's why I decided to move away for it for a while because I wasn't ready. Uh, physically and mentally, I wasn't ready because as much as I wanted to stay around football, I forgot that uh, those past two years that I, before that, I was hit with a lot of chemotherapy. I was on, uh, on the hospital. Uh, I was in the hospital all the time. So for me, it came too early. If that opportunity was when I was healthier and when I was uh, strong, like, like now, I would have stayed and I would definitely enjoy even more. But for me, become rather the enjoyment, it become quite uh, a heavy duty for me because I didn't have the energy that I used to have. Another quick follow-up to that. In terms of Sherwood, because obviously he's a fascinating character to us because we only saw little bits of him in the press room and he was only there for six or seven months. What's he like? Is the, is the personality that we see the same when he's around the training ground? Is he that kind of a bit of a kind of Jack the Lad character? Yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's, listen, he's very respectful. I, I've learned a lot from him. Like I said before, he, he managed to fill me in exactly what management is, what you have to do, how you have to approach players, how you have to approach your staff, how you have to be around uh, a football club. He was very bubbly uh, character. Uh, he was very positive, which was uh, a great benefit for me because I like to work with uh, with positive uh, people and he was one of them. Uh, he would never complain. He always encouraged and uh, for me, it was, uh, was something uh, interesting to see how somebody, when he was under pressure, because he was under a lot of pressure, he still found uh, find a face to come every every morning to smile and encourage others. Even he was hurt deep down. So it was very interesting for me to see. Let me delve back into the mug. There's the getting brand. Getting that, get that mug. Are you, you? How many questions you've got there? Oh, you're here all week. Stand now. <laughs> Go Let's have a look. As far as I can remember, you've got the captain's armband around 2009, I think, when Gareth Barry left and and Martin Larson couldn't couldn't carry on. What kind of captain were you, Stan? And by that, I kind of mean a little bit of detail, looking after the fines, sorting out the privileges and the players' tickets. If 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 I was your teammate, what would it be like having Stylian Petrov as a captain alongside me? I would say reliable, uh, dependable, uh, trustful. Uh, It's this free thing that I always try to maintain into my skills. Uh, I want to be that kind of captain. And you mentioned Gareth Barry, uh, a great person and a friend as well, who left a big gap uh, when he left uh, Aston Villa. And to be honest, when I took over after Gareth, I was a bit concerned. I I had a, a lot of concern about, can I feel his boots? Can I have the same charisma? Can I have the same power? As he has, as as a player, as a captain as well. So for me, it was a was a big worry at the start. But you know, I had to work really hard to show show the boys that they can trust me, to show the boys that I'm the right captain, that I'm the the right leader, and I can make others better, not just myself. Which I managed to do that very quickly, and, and my job become very uh, very very easy. 
in the following few years. I actually, actually, I can walk you through a, about a, a, a story that you're very aware. If you remember, when Girard Ollier took over, uh, he left me out of the team for for nearly three and a half months. Uh, at that time, he brought uh, McCoon, um, which he was a, a great player. Uh, I was playing well, but I found myself in a, in a very difficult situation. Obviously, he wanted to play McCoon, uh, and he had the rights to do that, but he didn't have the rights to, to drop me because I was playing well. But if you put my, uh, yourself in my shoes, is I was a captain. Uh, do I have to go and complain? Do I have to go and sh- show uh, faces? Do I have to go and pretend that I'm not happy? Well, I, I couldn't do that because... By that time, I've earned a quite uh, a good respect. Uh, the, the players were trusting me. The players were asking a lot of questions. I've become their mentor and their friend, which is more important than anything else, uh, Matt. So for me, I had to make a really difficult decision. Do I become uh, still in Petro, the captain who can don't care about the players, don't care about the club anymore, and just, just do what I want to do and I could just leave? Or maybe I have to continue and be the man that I've, I've, I've always shown, uh, dependable, trustful, and uh, reliable. What I had to do this three and a half months, I have to go every day. I was, in, I was burning inside out. So, I mean, you can imagine, you know me, you knew me as a person, as a player as well. So I was burning inside out and uh, I couldn't show that. I had to go every day with a smile in training. I had to work harder than everybody else. You know, it becomes difficult when the players start asking you questions about why you're not playing. Well, at that time, the, the team was not doing very well. So you can imagine the, the frustration I had as a captain, as a person as well, as a player. But at the next uh, moment, that I had to I had to deal with it in the right manner. I had to act in the right uh, with the right approach. I had to make sure the team still performed. The still doesn't matter what my individual issue is with the manager or he had with me. I still had to show that determination, that desire, and that strife to get better first individually, but after as a team and to support the team. So it was a very difficult three and a half months. But what I've learned uh, from those three and a half months that you have to be patient. Sometimes uh, other priorities are more important than your own priorities. And you just have to uh, trust the process. I've, I've managed to do that. And by answering your question is, uh, yeah, you have to be the right captain and you have to deal with certain situations in different ways. We talk about players, we talk about what they're going through, but sometimes you don't know the full details of what's happening internally and how players deal with it. So stories um, like that will inspire younger kids and kids and younger players and players that actually are captains at the moment and Get walking into into football, how to do, how to deal with a certain situation and how to act and be a man in the right manner. I've just pulled this one out. I don't know whether you can see it, but can, by complete coincidence, it says sum up your time under Gerard Houllier in one story. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've already done it, haven't you? <laughs> no, uh, you know. Um, I had a great time with, with Gerard Olier. He was he was very caring person. Uh, he just had to make a decision, and I had to really really understand that because he just wanted to the best of the team. And as, as uh, any manager, he wants to play the best players. And at that time, uh, he want he, he thought that McCoon was was better player for me. So for me, I had to prove him wrong. I had to make sure that I would change his view about it, and I managed to do that. 
And he was, uh, at the end, he was a person who came and shake my hand and he said he was wrong with the decision, but he was really, he was really relieved and really happy that I stood and stood like, a, like everybody else would tell him what kind of person I was, but he had to understand himself and he managed to do that. He shake my hand, he apologized and he said, you know, I was wrong and I'm glad that you didn't give up on me first and in the team. Because if you remember that season, um, we were in trouble and we went on, uh, on, I think in the last 10 games, we went with uh, eight wins, one loss and one draw. And he managed to finish uh, 11 of that season. So he was, a, he was a, as a good man. He was paying a lot of attention to, to the details. He wanted the team to play in a certain way. Uh, obviously, the team wasn't responding the way he wanted them to play, which made it even more difficult. And... Um, uh overall i was quite happy i was i never had problem with any manager i know that they had to make decision but overall if i had to sum up i'll say he was, he, he's a very positive manager who i've learned a lot he he taught me a lot as well what we got next hang on go on then if i did this with my hands hang on, hang on i can't count is that right yeah is that five one you're talking five about one. What, if i did that with my hands what what would that mean what what would you think with that uh, well, I think what, what afternoon that was, uh, Matt, uh, we, we played really well as a team. Uh, it was a local derby, uh, one of the biggest derbies, and uh, we managed to crush them. We managed to play really well. Uh, we celebrated uh, really well as well after, after the game. Uh, but, you know, I wasn't surprised about that result because at that time we were flying. At that time, the team was full of confidence. We had some incredible players and we, we, we love playing together, which made us even more stronger. The, the unity, the togetherness in that team, the desire, the, the winning mentality, we had everything. We had everything. And I wasn't surprised of that result because we just couldn't wait for that game. And we felt before again that we're ready and we can go and win it in a, in a, in a great, ma- in a, in the right manner. So you said that you um you celebrated well. Come on, give us, <laughs> give us a little bit of insight. What 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 would it be like? What would it, what would dressing room celebrations be like? Because you've got some big characters there. Where where would you go? Well, 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 you you asking the right question. Where you won't go? We would be everywhere. We would be celebrating. We are. As much as we, we play together, we like to get together, we like to celebrate, we wanted to make sure that we enjoy our, our victories uh, as well, which was very important. Uh, we were everywhere. Some of the boys will be down London, Manchester, Birmingham. Uh, so, uh, you know, we always, after a win like that, Martin will always give us um, two, three days off. So the boys loved it. Everybody knew that if we win, if we get the right result, will be off. Some of them will be in London, Manchester. Some will be in different places. But you, we, know, we knew that that was coming. We knew that if we play, if we win, if we do well, we'll, deserve, we'll, we'll get our well-deserved uh, break as well. You don't don't strike me as a big drinker, Stillian. You strike me as a as a very kind of professional. Um... I I am professional, but don't get me wrong. If if I have to drink, I uh, I will drink. I'm I'm not lightweight. Uh, well, I'm now. I'm too old now. I'm too old for that. Uh, but uh, I was very professional. I, I had to be professional. This is part of, uh, of our job. But when we had our time, downtime, when we had our private time, is yeah, of course, I'll have a drink. Uh, not the best drinker. I'm not a big shot drinker. I can't do shots. If I'm shots, I'm, I usually get sick. Uh, I like a beer or a nice wine, so I, I kind of enjoy that. 
if we get into the shop, then I'm in trouble. <laughs> so just on that five one, you're right that that I think if I think that Villa scored, I and mean, we'll we'll get to the Derby game in one of the questions later for obvious reasons. But I think you battered Derby, battered Bolton and battered Blues within the space of three weeks. I think there might have been 15 goals scored in three games. And that, that side was just kind of dripping goals, really, wasn't it, with the talent and the, and the pace in it? You know, the, the funny thing is when I when I moved down from Celtic, I used to score goals that you have to play box to box. And the time when we you just mentioned those three games, I moved from Celtic and I became a Aston Villa uh, a player. Martin O'Neill at that time decided for me to step back and play more deeper position. And that was one of the reasons. Because I remember having conversation with him, with him uh, in, um, in his room and he said to me, I don't want you to go forward anymore. I've got better players going forward. I've got players that can create. I've got players with, players with urgency, with intensity, with creativity. Uh, we will score an out goal. What I wanted you to do is just look after them when we lose the ball. And the, funnily enough, I couldn't even argue with that, Matt. I couldn't even say, you know, you're wrong or I can do better. Because if you look at the players, Garrity, you know, you, you end up with 12, 13 game, uh, goals. Ashley, Stewie Downing, then James Mueller there, Gabby Bonahos, John Carew. We can go on and go on. We had incredible uh, team going forward. And if you remember, we, we had a lot of chaps about it. The, the teams that playing against us, they had a fear in their eyes. Everybody who came to play against us, they knew they're in for a, for a difficult afternoon because we've got, we had that urgency. If somebody can say what kind of styles we had, I don't think we, we, we can actually pick and point of what exactly style we've got. We had everything. We had strength at the back. We have uh, uh, speed. Uh, we have the urgency. We've got the winning mentality. We have the experience as well. So we had a very well-balanced team which no, many, many people didn't realize that. And we were really hard to beat. We were very difficult to beat because we didn't take, uh, uh, we didn't take that as a solution for us. We, want, we always wanted to go and win. And we had those, those, those kind of players and we have those kind of characters as well in the team. Do you think, and again, I'm going away from my mug for a minute, but do you think it was a Champions League team in everything but finishing in the Champions League places? It was so close, wasn't it? Yeah, and this is this is the biggest regret. I thought we could do much better. I think always, uh, if you look at it, the way we our season when we the last the free season where we actually finished in the top six, we kind of blew it at the end of the season. We didn't have that uh, uh, endurance and that uh, ability to actually go for full season. We would have, we would have probably blown in the last three or three months, which made it really difficult for us. Um, I think we could, we should have done much better. I thought that, um, we could have done much better in Europa League. If you remember the, everything that all carry on with the CSK uh, Moscow uh, game, we won the first game 2-1. We were quite comfortable and I felt that we had ability and we had the strengths and we have the team to actually go further in that competition. Obviously, the manager and the club decided to go in a completely different direction. I remember that we didn't travel to to Moscow, and that after that we could we end up losing. Uh, we couldn't win a game for about nearly nine weeks, so it cost us the the fourth spot. And that time when they made the decision, I think we were like we were fourth, and we were about ten points ahead of uh, Arsenal. And then at the end, we end up uh, eleven points behind them. 
I did. I, I have got a question about Moscow in there, so I'll rip it up in a minute. But would you have spoken to Martin ahead of him doing that or after him doing that? I mean, I presume the likes of yourself, Gareth, Ashley would have wanted to be involved, wouldn't you? Uh, no. Uh, we, actually, uh, the way we, we found out about it, it was quite out of the blue. We, uh, I, I think one day before that, it was a rumour, you know, in the dressing room, the rumours uh, spread very quickly and you know what's happening. So a rumour started that probably most of us won't be travelling. I think the day before that, we had a meeting and the gaffer told us that it's his decision and he thinks he's better for the club. And I can understand where he's coming from, Matt, because... Uh, we were fourth, we were 10 points ahead of, uh, of Arsenal and you will think uh, a club as Aston Villa would be great to be in the Champions League. So I understood where, he, where he's coming from. Thinking after uh, afterwards, what, what, why would that decision was made? Maybe he didn't feel we had enough uh, endurance and strength and, uh, and power to actually compete in the Premier League and uh, in, uh, in European football as well. So that could be a, a, another reason as well. But I thought that we had that, we had the mentality, we had the mental and emotional preparation to actually go for it. But uh, we, wasn't, we didn't have the chance with the decision that was made and we have to deal with it and agree with it. We spoke to Gareth Barry last week about it and he, he said the same. You couldn't understand why the decision was made, but it just... You just wonder, don't you? You're just left wondering what what might have been. Yeah, because uh, Garrett is a similar player, and I've 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 uh, I've known him for for many years, and I, I know how he thinks, and I know you know people was talking about him moving to Man City, but that's the reason he moved because he wanted to achieve. He want he's achiever, you know. He he's somebody who wants to go on and and achieve things. He wants to make sure that he, he won medals, he won trophies. He's he's countable. It's okay to play well, but you know, end of your career when you know he's retired now, and I, I'm, 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 I know how he feels. He's like, you know what? I went, I've made that decision. I, I suffered a little bit uh, through it, but I've shown everyone that I was good enough to to win medals, to win the Premier League, to go and compete in the in the Champions League, uh, compete in a different competition, and just show you that he's got that growth mind uh, mindset. Which, which is good to see. And that was most of the players. You can see Ashley Young went to Man United, won the uh, UEFA Cup, become a champion. Fabian Delft to Man City, won, won the league as well. James Smear. You know, there's so many out there that they left the club and they went to achieve. And sometimes you thought, well, we had that, you know, we had that mentality. And, you know, if we'd probably, if we would have had that chance, we probably would have taken it because we, we were ready to do it. But it's something that you look back and you're thinking if we could have done it, but we didn't. The, that latest one, what was your favourite Villa kit from your time at the club and why? Oh, my Villa kit. The 2008 one was uh, was uh, was the best for me. It was the time where we moved, uh, I, I think we moved from Homo. <laughs> it, was, it was a little bit better. It was much... Uh, it was um, it was leaner. It was looking good. It was nice material. Uh, the fans were really happy with it because the branding it was completely different. So the 2008 one was was the best one for me. As a, as a player, do you kind of judge it in how it looks or how breathable it is, or does it does it matter? I mean, I suppose you you've got to wear it regardless whether you like it or not, haven't you? Yeah, listen, I'm always aware of it. You know, I've got big butt, butt so I, I I'm always aware of it. That, those white those white shorts are not no. 
very uh, in good favor of me, man. I'll tell you that. <laughs> you're in fashion now eh, with the Kardashians. You're, you're allowed uh, to have a well, time, eh? it, it wasn't a good fashion when I was playing. They weren't that famous that time. <laughs> Let's have a look at the next one. Moving on. Let's have a look at the next one. When you moved from Celtic to Villa, were there any other clubs in the Premier League or in England who you could have could have joined? And while you're at Villa, was there ever any interest in other clubs wanting to, to take you away from Villa? Yes, actually, I was on the way down to sign for Portsmouth. Uh, I, I had agreement with uh, with Harry Redknapp. I was on the on the way down to to sign with Portsmouth. Uh, everything was agreed. And that was two days before uh, the transfer window was closing. I was on the way for, to international um, duty. I was in Manchester um, Airport. And I was waiting for Portsmouth uh, to come uh, to meet me and to sign the papers. But at that time, that evening, uh, obviously, Viewer have put a, a bigger bit. So Celtic called me and said, uh, now I have to speak with, uh, with Villa. So everything changed very, very quickly in the space of a few hours. I had Portsmouth, on my do- Portsmouth at 6 o'clock in the morning at my door at the hotel. Obviously, they're trying to change my mind, but the sooner I've, I've heard about my O'Neill and what he's trying to build at Aston Villa, um, you know, I, I, it was only way, one way forward and I wanted to join Villa. Um, it was, it happened very quickly. Uh, I remember the negotiation, the negotiation was, was really, uh, really funny. Marty O'Neill was, was really funny. It was something that I'll never forget. Uh, he was arguing with my wife about, you know that why I need to move and was the financial uh, issues because first of all, as much as a manager and, and a player, we we had a great respect and as a friends uh, friends as well. So at that time when I signed uh, when I signed for uh, for Villa Mata, I had to sign for less money than I was at Celtic and I had to lose a lot of money to leave Celtic just so to move for Villa. But you know what, my he was like, it's a great move, Stan. You know, it's not about the money; it's a great move, and you're gonna play against the best. And you know what? That was, that was enough for me, uh, Matt. I knew that if I play well, if I um, if I put the right performances, if I defend uh, what he believes in, Matt O'Neill, I'll, I'll always have the re- rewards after. I knew that the takeover was happening between uh, the Galias and obviously Randy Leonard at that time. Uh, so the finances wasn't there. So t- sometimes you just have to take risks. But the main goal for me was uh, Matt was coming and competing in the Premier League. Uh, Matthew O'Neill was really convincing about what he wants to, to build, what kind of players he wanted to bring to, to Aston Villa, where the, what direction the club wanted to go. And it, it was enough for me. Uh, it was funny the way negotiation was going, but it was, uh, it was, it was great at the end. You know, after that, when I signed my new, first new contract after that, uh, for Villa, it was very funny. And, uh, he, he just, you know, he don't talk about it, but he turned quite cheekily and said, I've told you it's a, it's a right decision for you. And he just, he never said a word. And I knew, yeah, I can't believe you just waited for that long to remind me this. <laughs> he never, he never forgets, Matt. He never forgets that, man. <laughs> Brilliant. Let's have a look at the next one. Four years on, what are your thoughts now about the summer of 2016? I'm over it now, um, Matt. It was really painful for me at... Uh, couple of months and a year and two years after after that decision. Uh, you need to understand that the football was taken away from me. Um, I didn't want it to be to finish in that way. 
I've uh, give up everything uh, in my life to become a footballer. I sacrificed so much. Uh, I had to work harder than everybody else. I wasn't talented. Uh, I had to re- really find the ways to 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 get to where I wanted to be. Uh, I went through a lot of difficult high, difficult moments, highs and lows in, in my career. I had to be different to make sure that uh, I can achieve what I wanted to achieve. Um, I've paid attention to all my preparation as individual, as a team player as well. So when you give all this to your life and all of a sudden it's taken away for you, from you, it's, it's really difficult to accept. It was very difficult for me to make a decision to actually think about the comeback because if you look at it, it's it's not just about what you want to do and how you want to do it. It's what you have to go through it. I was when I retired when when I was actually was diagnosed. I, I was eighty five kilos. Bear in mind when I had to make a decision that I actually thinking about a possible comeback. I was one hundred and twenty nine kilos. 129 kilos, Matt. Now, imagine through all the treatment that, uh, treatments that I had, I've lost uh, muscle, I've gained weight, uh, I've, I don't have endurance, I don't have stamina anymore. Um, I've lost everything. As a footballer, as an athlete, you've lost everything. You haven't kicked the ball for three years. So you literally lo- lost everything. So for me, it was like, should I give it a go? And my message was, when I had, uh, I had a, I had a person um, who tried, who tried, who, who who helped me to get fit, and you know him. You remember Ryan? He used to look after most of the um, equipment stuff, the pool at uh, at Villa. Do you remember him? Well, the name rings a bell. I can't. I can't. Yeah. You you remember him? You when you get back to to your memories, you you remember him. So he became a, a, a personal coach a few years later. And I started like, just can I get you, get me fit with you? You can try help me because I just don't want, I, I didn't want to go in the gym because I was way overweight. People look at me in a different way. And sometimes you, you just want to say, you know, what? I just want to step back. I just want to step back, give myself a time to get fit, to get in shape a little bit, just to look at a different way because I had the moon phase it was literally, I was, I was huge. I was literally huge. Uh, my, my wife and kids still joke about it, how, how big I was, to be honest. But, hey, it's, it's, it's saved my life. And I, I'm, to me as well, don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I've but still got go, Yeah, but going back, it was, uh, so he came just, just randomly of, he, he said to me, do you think you can say, because then I started losing weight. I start, obviously I'm, I'm very focused. I'm very strong. If I put something uh, on my, on, on my mind, I, I just decided I have to do it and I find way to do it. So in a space of like three, four months, he saw that I've dropped quite, quite a lot. I've, I'm working hard. My muscles start to coming back. He can see a little bit of definition of my muscles again. And from a jog, this, this actually become like, from, it came from a jog. It was like, do you think you can play again? And I went, I, I don't really know. I, I, I'd love to, I'd love to do that, but it's, it's going to take a lot of hard work. And he was like, why you don't think about it? And just, 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 just let's see if that's going to work for us. So 
a week later, I said to him, I'll tell you what, I'm going to start playing a little bit of football with friends. Let's continue uh, our work. Let's start to gain now to, how can he get my muscle memory back? Make sure that I'll lose the weight. I'll get the strength. I've got the stamina. I'm going to start running faster. We're going to get into more interval running. We need to get into more legs. I need to get into more my diet. And he was like, okay, let's, let's do that. So we worked out a plan that we're going to follow for, for about six months and see what the results are. Six months, not, not even six months, about four months later, he was like, you know what? I, I think you've got a chance. And I say, I'm pushing now. I'm in that zone now that I think I can do it. And by playing with friends, you know, when I was heavier, going and playing with friends, you can see they're faster than me. Some of them play in the lower league. Some of them are fitter and they, they can get away from me. But four or five months the line now, I became stronger. I become faster than them. Now like, you can see the difference. Now you can see that my awareness is back again, my touches, my, my quick feet, my vision. Everything is coming back now because it's just muscle memory. And I just had to make sure that I've got mentality again to, to work hard. By the time I started uh, a preseason uh, mat, I was uh, 90 kilos. That was the, uh, the, the, the weight I walked in for first day for preseason. And I told you, that first day, I knew one thing. If that manager gave me a chance, I'll push as, mu- as much as I had. And I'm going back not just to make, not to make money, not to be the player that uh, Stealing Petrov used to be. I knew for me it was one thing because the men- strong messages about people that fight in cancer, people that are going through difficult moments that you still can go through dif- difficult moments and find solutions and find opportunity and have different life and have better life. So I wanted to show everyone that who is going through difficult times, there is hope out there. And for me, even playing one minute, playing 10 minutes, playing two games, playing games, professional football, that message would have been strong. People talking about, did you, uh, you wanted the contract? I didn't want the contract. I just wanted to want to say, that's me. I quit, but I quit on my own terms and on my own time. I wasn't given that opportunity and uh, it, was, it was really painful for me. Do I still understand why that happened? Because they didn't have to make that decision. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't under contract. Uh, I, was, I was free. I could have done another two months of preseason. And I said one thing to... Um, to um, uh, Timoteo that either if I don't play, I'm a plus for you. I'm not a minus. I can race. And you can see, Matt, when I was training, and probably if you speak with a lot of the boys, uh, you say, Ashley Westwood, I shared the room with him. If you see the way I was, I was preparing before, after training, uh, in the evenings, he's about, you know, I was in an iPad. I was with the game ready on my feet. The boys will go and play cars. The boys will go and do this. The boys are, I couldn't do it because I wasn't allowed to miss a, a second in the training. I wasn't allowed to miss a day because if I do that, they will have an excuse to say no. I didn't do it. I've done complete, I've done every single run. I've done every single session. I was every day first. I was every day last. And I'll tell you what, if you one day you manage to speak with Gabby, you'll tell you. I was in my group with me and I remember we were in Austria. It was boiling. It was about 40 degrees. Honestly, we were doing double sessions. We're not talking about one session. We're talking about double sessions. 
So I remember we done a, a long uh, first session. That was probably the last day before we left. And they say, this is going to be the last hardest run that you actually guys were doing in a preseason. I'll tell you what, Matt. I was literally on my knees. I wouldn't stop. Gabby was in my uh, my. I don't know how Gabby got in my in my in my uh, um, in my group. Man, that was the slowest group. He's still in my group, and I was like, "What the hell is happening here?" But listen, it, it, I remember the last run we were doing um, uh, different interval runnings, and we were doing across the pitch. And I remember the last run we were doing in the different groups. And I remember the last one, we, we, I had to stretch my legs and I can feel my hammies will, 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 is tightening up. We've, been do, we, we've done so much loading and I wasn't, I wasn't there. You know, it, it's like I, I need to push, last push before I finish that run. I, I remember Gabby coming behind me and he, he just pushing me. I can, I can hear, I can hear he's going, Stan, just remember your kids. You're doing it for your kids. And as much as I wanted to stop, I started laughing. I'm like, why is he bringing my kids into it? I hardly can run. So he just pushed me on the back of it. He's, he supported me, and we just finished the run. I was on my knees, and he was like, "He was like, brilliant, Stan. This is this is something that you should be proud of. You've completed. You haven't missed a session. And you know what? When they give you this kind of encouragement, and that's your teammates. You know, they've seen me how I suffered through that preseason, but suffering." Known the pitch, suffering by being in ice bath every day, eating the right way, going in bed early, making sure I'm prepared. Everybody else is like fully fit. They want they could do whatever they want. But I didn't have time because I wanted to do one thing, just play a minute, play a game or 10 games and say goodbye to football because football is everything for me. But at the end, I didn't have the opportunity after that, when I was told no, uh, they had a couple teams in a, uh, in a League One uh, up in Scotland. They were like, come and play, come and play for us. But I, I didn't want to go and play football. I just wanted to finish at Villa because that journey started at Villa and I had the incredible support from the fans. And I just wanted to say goodbye. That, that was it. That was it. But obviously, the club didn't get the message. The club didn't want to do it. Um, it was something that... Uh, it did hurt me a lot, uh, but I've, I've, I've learned how to live with it. And I just realized that, you know, sometimes it's bigger things out there in life and you just have to strive and try, just try and go and achieve it. That's all. That's well, all, Matt. As a Villa fan, just thank you for, and I know it wasn't the same, I know it wasn't Villa Park, 40,000, all wishing you farewell, but I was in a field in Stourport in Worcester to see you play that friendly. And there were only a thousand Villa fans there and we're all standing around the edges drinking pints out of plastic glasses. And just to see you back there, it meant it meant the world to us. And it's not the arena that, that should have been your finale. Just to see you back there, just to and I remember I remember you being swamped on the field at the end. Everybody was gathering around for selfies and autographs and stuff like that. And I hope that in that moment that you could see what you meant and what your efforts meant to Villa, even if it wasn't quite the kind of grandstand finish that you deserved. Thank you. I remember, I remember that day, that day very, um, uh, very strongly because I remember the, uh, the club actually was saying, well, we had so many requests. That, uh, because if you remember, we were playing two games in the same day. Uh, we had uh, one team had to travel one way. The other team had to have the two as well. So we had a lot of requests about where I was going to play. 
So just showing you about fans that wanted to come and watch, they wanted to see me. And to be honest, you know, we've played a, a game in Austria, we won. Uh, we played in Worcester, we won. So I finished with two great wins and I've managed to play uh, with the boys again. I really enjoyed that. But when the when when I was told that uh, they won't they won't uh, offer me anything, I didn't want to be offered anything. I wanted just to be given a chance, like everybody else. Uh, obviously, it didn't work uh, the way I thought that it was gonna work, and I just uh, have to I had to take in the chin and just move on. It was really difficult the, the following six months. I was like, I didn't want to hear about football. I didn't want to talk about football. Uh, I didn't know what to do. I was lost. Uh, just one of these periods that you have to deal with, but uh, luckily I've I've got good friends, good family, uh, which uh, they, they helped me a lot with with great advices. I've spoke with a lot of former players as well, which they, they I found that they, they had a really difficult about uh, dealing with uh, with the retirement and how everything finished for them. So I've managed to learn very quickly. I've managed to understand very quickly how the industry works and to put uh, to put myself uh, a good plan and uh, a good uh, way of achieving other things. What were the best and worst things about playing Sunday football? Was it with Witchell? Yes, what? Witchell Wonders, yeah. Uh, where, should, where should I start, Matt? Where should I start? It's, uh, it reminds me of my youth uh, development. Uh, it's about going having fun with friends, going and having fun with people that actually still want to play football, still want to win games, still want to go up in the, in the morning. You know, the funny things is like you see people from uh, with hangover coming and play football. Uh, they just want to come and enjoy kicking the ball. They want, they're very competitive. They never made as, as a professional player on any level, but they just wanted to have a, to come and enjoy. And I loved it. I loved it because I, uh, First of all, which uh, we assembled very really strong team. We had a we had a very strong team. We were playing very good football. We had to compete against a couple of very good team. I mean, some of the other teams they had the Lee Henry, uh, Paul Devlin. They had a, a couple uh, former players as well. So it was really good level, and I really enjoyed it because it gave me a purpose and gave me opportunity to kick the ball again. I was getting fitter. I was getting stronger. Uh, I enjoyed being out uh, out on the on the pitch, being around the dressing room again. Uh, just just putting a, a little bit of uh, a discipline of what you want to do. And I was looking forward to Sundays, you know, because that's what I've done all my life. I, I play football, and I had the opportunity to do it again. We became champions twice. Uh, we got. I've joined the team where we were in the, in the second division, then we got promoted, then we won the league twice. The boys really enjoyed it. We moved into, you know, having like Christmas party, having gatherings together, having breakfast, preparing in the right way. They hated me, to be honest, Matt, because, you know what, in those nearly two and a half years, I never missed a game. I was always there. I was always there first. I was always there encouraging players because that, that, was, the, that was the way I was. And... Uh, you know what, boys appreciated that. He, 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 he gave them a bit of headache because they had to be more professional. And some of the, some of the times I'll put on the chat that not drinking everybody in bed at 10 and stuff like that. And they'll just laugh and just, just leave me, just say, Stan, leave us alone. And, you know, you move away from it. But it was something that I've missed. It was another opportunity for me to play football again and to strive for something because I wanted to get back to while I'm doing my coaching buzzing, doing my educational courses. 
I, w- I wanted to have a distraction, and that distraction is distraction was playing Sunday, Sunday, Sunday League, and it was really, en- it was really enjoyable. If you're explaining who Martin O'Neill is to a load of space aliens who have just landed on Earth, what would you say, and how would you describe him? I would describe him, more well, say like me, reliable, honest. Don't don't cross him because if you cross him, you're gonna have the hair dryer. So I would say reliable, honest, unpredictable. I would say, because when you are unpredictable, it makes you stronger. You don't know what to expect from a person. And if you're an alien and you land up, you, you, wanna, you want them to deal with somebody unpredictable, and he's definitely one of them. So, um, <laughs> tell us. I, I mean, probably, probably you'll find out that on your interviews with him. Well, listen, I know, I know the hairdryer. His hairdryer was so severe with me that I've got no hair left. But have you, have you ever been on the receiving end of that? I've been, uh, I've been arguing a couple of times, couple of times in the, in the, in the sense of uh, speaking about football and opinion. Uh, I would never cross the line to go and argue with him. Uh, I had to go and apologize a few times in his office. I'm going to put it that way. Uh, but it's something that I think most of us uh, done it. Uh, it's he was he was a very interesting character. Uh, he didn't let many many people uh, closer to him. He always kept a distance. So that's why I always say he's very unpredictable. But if you gain his trust, he uh, he loves you to to the end. The sooner you let him down. You're in the black books. You just don't. You don't exist for him. Like I, I believe that's for, for most of most of people dealing that way as well. So, do you think that unpredictability was the kind of beauty of his management? Because you you didn't want to let him down. You'd always got to kind of be in that in crowd with him. It was unique. It was very unique how how he dealt with it. How he managed to to be your friend but be your enemy at the same time and and different uh, uh, profile. Uh, you know what? Sometimes you 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 see him in the morning, and he's gonna be bubbly, and he's gonna be cuddling you, and he's gonna say things. Next thing, he's just gonna pass you. You won't even say morning, and you're like, "Oh, what, what I've done? What, what what happened from yesterday?" But he was him. He, he he wanted people to understand that. Yeah, you can you can know me, but you can know me know me as much as I let you know me. You know, sometimes I when I moved down to to Villa, obviously the boys were saying to me, "Oh." How's Martin O'Neill? And I say, you know what, guys? I, I at Celtic there was a bigger characters than me. There was a Henry Glasson, Chris Sutton, John Harton, Alan Thompson, Neil Lennon, Paul Lambert. You know, they were the ones that were actually talking to him. I was kind of on a learning curve. I was like, I need to perform. I had to earn his trust. I need to make sure he understand who I am, how he can challenge me to be better, what is good for me and how I can develop uh, and how he can help me develop. So that was me. And everybody was like, what do you mean? You don't even talk to him. He said, no. So I became even uh, more mature and bigger figure at Villa with him. They actually at Celtic because it was natural. You become more, more mature, more experienced, and he, he started trusting you even more. So it was a very difficult transition you know, from Celtic to to Villa and how we communicate at, at Celtic and also at uh, Villa as well. So I've learned a lot about him as a person and, uh, and a human being. Do you still speak now? Yeah, of course. I speak with uh, a, lot of the, uh, a lot of the manager. Uh, I, I text and speak with Alex McLeish now and then. Uh, Martin very quite, quite often uh, as well. Uh, I met Gerard Ollier, a couple of things. Uh, I, haven't cr- I haven't come across uh, Roberto Di Matteo, to be honest. I would love to, uh, to be honest, you know what? I would love to 
maybe one time where we meet up and catch up somewhere to just to to go through and talk about things and you know understand the 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 decisions a little bit more but i hope that i'll have that opportunity in my life one day right let's see what's uh let's see what's lurking next what was randy learner like i only uh, spoke with randy learner when i was when i was ill uh, when I was a player, when I was a captain, I could only see him only, only when he comes to the training ground. And when he comes to the training ground, he didn't want to really interfere much with the players. He left that to, to obviously, the coaching staff. Um, he would only come and say hello, make sure that uh, he, he shake everybody's hands. So that was my... But the, funnily enough, Matt, when I, when I got really ill, uh, him and Paul Faulkner... Uh, they came to visit me uh, quite often. Uh, he brought me very special gifts. I mean, special gifts uh, uh, related to Aston Villa, with the history of Aston Villa, uh, portraits with the players, with the players that have played, um, which was very uh, great, uh, interesting gesture. And he's been around the hospital when I was ill for for many times. Uh, we spoke about uh, a lot about what way Villa will, will go, what direction will go. So it was interesting to understand. And we kept a good relationship. I haven't spoke to him for a while. I remember like a few years ago, he texted me just to check how 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 was held, how everything's going. I keep in touch with Paul Faulkner, who was really, really close to me when, uh, when I got ill. Uh, he made sure that uh, I was well looked after. Uh, we still keep in touch. So I had a great relationship, but our great relationship came outside actually the club is when I was ill. Uh, we shared some good stories, some uh, good insights. And, uh, you know, it was interesting to see the perspective of, of, of a chairman and how he wanted to uh, approach the club and what he wants to do for the future. This is slightly pre-Villa. Pre you know, room, legend has it that you used to work in a burger van in Glasgow. Um, which I think I think you used to, to to shape your 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 impeccable English. What is what is the perfect takeaway? If you could have takeaway on a Saturday night with um with Mrs. Petrov and, and the lads, what would you be eating? Don't start me with that. We uh in the last couple of years I've I've changed my diet completely. You're talking about now or before? Both. Go on, tell us tell us before and now. Before, before before will be a Chinese. Uh, now will be home cooked meal, uh, and I'll tell you why. Because I've um, I've changed completely my diet since my illness. I've completely stopped red meat. I've completely stopped uh, dairies. I don't eat eggs. I've stopped the coffee. I only I only have uh, fish now and then. So mo mostly I'll, I'll say pescatarian. All the boys are saying, "What, what, what are you at the moment, Stan?" I, I I say I'm confused, guys. I don't really know. But I don't eat all these things. Um, only one thing that I can uh, I can uh, refuse and I can't stop is the beer. I think we all love a beer, aren't we? And we have to enjoy something for God's sake. <laughs> but but at the moment, if I have to order, uh, I don't know. I'll probably I'll probably have something healthier rather than than not healthy. Uh, it's completely different vision and way of, I'm eating at the moment but I'll probably I'll, if I have to go I'll go for the Indian oh nice what would you have yeah. uh, getting hungry now pro, pro, tro, pon, pron I'll, I'll have it and oh. I'll have a little bit of naan bread we, we need to get some naan uh, we, we'll, we'll throw some pop, poppadoms in as well 
Oh, that's lovely. I hope I haven't thrown you off the wagon now. <laughs> no, you won't. You won't. You won't. How many times have you watched the clip of that goal against Derby? Hundreds of times. Hundreds of times. I'll tell you what, my, 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 my boys watch it all the time. You know, the funny, the funny thing is um, Matt, my little one, didn't have the, the pleasure and the chance to watch me and to remember me as, as a player. So now you you come you come with this tablet and show me the 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 derby go. You say, look at that, look at what you've done. Left foot as well because obviously I practice with them. I try to teach them to to use their both both feet. So I've watched it hundreds of times. I'll tell you what, uh, I tried to replicate it a couple of times. It never happened. I remember when I scored the goal uh, after that couple of weeks after we all tried to do it. Uh, I I couldn't do it even uh, uh, with the right foot, don't mind with the left foot. So is it a fluke or is it one of these moments that he just was there and I made the decision to do it and it became a, a, a unique uh, unique a unique goal. That's a sweet it's a sweet um, sweet strike with the left foot though. Is that something that you worked on, Stan? You, to to make sure that you could use your left foot. Of course. Uh, listen, when I was when I was a young boy, and we we touched on that uh, when we start talking about how I worked and what I wanted to become is I wanted to make sure because I wasn't the talented uh, boy when I was growing up. I wasn't the biggest. I wasn't the strongest. I wasn't the fittest. I was the I wasn't the the most gifted technically. So I had to work uh, on it. I had to make sure that I understand football inside out. I understand my my position. I develop in the right way. And you know what? If somebody asks me about is was your stronger foot, left or right, I don't have to hesitate and answer. I have to make sure that I say both and I'm quite comfortable to to stick with it and uh, they agree with it as well. So if we ever play again, you can probably nutmeg me with either foot, yeah? Uh, yeah probably, yes. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's have a look at the next one. Have you ever come close to having a fight with a teammate? in a match or in training? Oh, yeah. I had uh, I had a fight. Uh, I had a big fight, if you remember. Do you remember it was a centre defender we had at Celtic, Bobo Balde? Oh, yeah, yeah. He was a big bloke, wasn't he? Uh, he, was, he, was, he, he wasn't big. He was literally huge. <laughs> so uh, I, had a, I, had a, a, I had a fight with him. Uh, at the time when he grabbed me to my throat, I was looking for a season to stab him. That's, that's where, I, that, that where, where I was. At that moment, uh, we, you know, we at Celtic we had some incredible winners, and uh, you know, we we hated losing the game. And after one game, we were arguing, and he went for me. Uh, I, I couldn't run away, and he grabbed me by the throat. And I was looking for scissors. The boys are trying to get uh, get him off me. He was throwing everybody away. Uh, all of a sudden, he realized what he'd done. He just dropped me. Uh, by that time, everybody's laughing. It wasn't funny for me. I'll tell you that thing. Uh, he, he's a huge boy, but you know what? Uh, he's, it was all about because we didn't like to lose. We all demanded very highly of each other. And this situation came across a few times, not just with me, but with other players as well, not just at Celtic, but at Villa as well, my previous clubs. Because when you play in a team that is actually required to win and to achieve, you have moments like that, but it just show you what kind of characters you you have. And, and I've been through one. Uh, it was scary. And uh, I'm glad I'm still alive. Can you um, <laughs> can you remember when, when Martin and, and Ria Coker had that little spat at the training ground? What what, what happened there, Stan? <laughs> yeah, I, I did remember. We were, we, were, we were doing 11 aside. We were doing a tactical session. We was always playing. So Martin was giving different messages. 
And I remember that they were in the middle and I think Nigel misplaced the pass. I think they started verbally to talk against each other and saying things. And all of a sudden, in, in a space of a second, they just squared each other. Uh, Nigel's preparing for, for a fight. Uh, Gaffo's uh, fists were up here. Everybody was laughing. I, I just couldn't stop laughing. I, I just, uh, you can hear Nigel just jumping around and Gaffo just getting his, his, his position ready to, to strike. And it was really funny. It was, uh, it was something that we see all the time. Uh, obviously, they both were very uh, strong characters. They both want, uh, had uh, a strong opinion. Uh, we didn't make, we made them more as a, as a fun. I think Nigel got, uh, punished quite, uh, for a few games, I think. Uh, but in general, we, we took as, um, as, uh, like a, a joke and we just tried to make sure that everything was okay after. We still joke with Nigel, uh, since the day, since today. Uh, he don't like it, but that's, that's not a problem. That's his problem. Uh, let him deal with it and um, we loved it we loved it and uh, we'll never forget it I was not sure how to ask ask this but do you think there were times at Villa when you were underrated and people didn't quite appreciate the contribution that you made because we've got all these flair players and these attacking players do you think sometimes people forgot the role that you played I knew my position was uh, was uh, you have a kind of like that because sometimes playing a deeper position playing a position that you don't Getting much of the highlights will always be the case. And don't forget, when I when I, I was the first signing for Matteo O'Neill, so everybody's looking. I became a captain as well, so everybody too was looking to lead in the right way. But I had to I had to do it in a different way. And sometimes I, I did ask that uh, that question to myself, but it, I had a straight answer. You know, I uh, we had some incredible players, creative players, players with. Uh, with great ambitions, play with great character characters as well. And when you have something like that, you just have to just understand your role in the, in the team. And I understood my role, and I knew how important my role is. And the main thing, Matt, was the players. The players appreciated my role and my input, which which is the most important for me. Because end of the day, I play with them. I try to be a good teammate. I, I try to make sure not just I perform as well, but they perform as well. Because if we do it together, then we have a more chance to succeed. That team, it was such a good team, such a good, likeable bunch of, of people as well as footballers that it, just missing that one tangible thing, wasn't it, uh, to kind of celebrate the success. And that was a trophy or that was the Champions League. And it was, again, so close. Yeah, we we you know we've uh, we've achieved and we uh, we created great memories uh, together as a team, as a fans, as a club, as you know all together. But uh, what was missing is is a trophy for us. This is the downfall uh, for us, Matt, and we all know about it. We all know about it, and uh, we still talk about it uh, sometimes. We all believe that we could have done it, but it's not what you believe. It's important what you achieve, and we were very close. But you know what? We every single one who left the club, every single one who who played in that uh, that team, always believed that we were a strong team. We were a team who who had the chance, but never managed to achieve and and actually reach our potential, real potential. You know, without me wishing to be doom and gloom about it, about it, I think it will go down as you know. It's been a lean time for Villa fans in the last you know since since the nineties, the eighties and nineties when they were winning trophies regularly. That your your team, Martin O'Neill's team, goes down as the best team a generation of football fans have seen. So I don't want to be seen as kind of poking holes and saying, why didn't you win this and why didn't you do that? Because I think the legacy that you guys have left is still a very strong one. 
Yeah, and you know what? The 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 main uh, objective was on what, as a team. What, what you do is what you want to achieve is. We felt the buzz around the place. We felt the buzz, uh, the preparation for the games. We knew that everybody we faced, everybody we played against, they fear us. I knew the fans were looking forward to going away games. The, the fans were looking forward to getting to our home games because we, we entertained. We were scoring goals. We were always in the game. And we, you know what? Even against the big teams, we give the big teams a difficult time. And the fans loved it. The fans loved it. The wave fans were incredible because they just they was looking forward because we had so much pace. We can counterattack. We can control a game. We can batter. We can we can do. We could have we could have done everything was required to be a good team, and they knew that. So that makes you special in some kind of way. What was it like when you saw hundreds of versions of your own face staring back at you at Wigan with all the masks? Well, that must have been surreal. It was weird. I put it that way. It was very weird, but uh, it was very uh, overwhelming. Uh, what the club done and what the fans done as well. I remember I was on the bench that day. Um, Paul Lambert told me to to be on the bench. I, I really enjoyed the the, the experience. Uh, he took me after the game, and we went and clubbed the fans, and they all put their masks. So it was it was incredible. It was it was really good, and it was a. Uh, it was an experience that I will never forget. What was it like from a, a family point of view? Was, was Did that give them some kind of comfort, knowing that you were uh, so loved by the football club and the fans? Yeah, they, they loved it. They enjoyed it. But, you know, the funny thing, uh, Matt, is, and the interesting thing about that is my kids now, because they were so young and now everything on the internet, everything around when I speak with people, they were talking about, you know, just how my my illnesses and how I recover from it. Nobody really talk about my football achievements anymore, which for my kids, something was very difficult. And I, my little one asked me before, he said, oh, dad, why everybody's asking me how you are? You, you're good at the moment. Why, why they keep asking you that question? And it's very difficult to understand because he didn't, he didn't know about it. He, he haven't seen me here. He, he don't have the memories of me playing. So what he've only seen is actually the support of what I've been through in the last couple of years. So it's really difficult. You know, when you have a young kids, you still have to, uh, explain and let them understand what, how the process is, the, what the process is and how everything works. So. It's really difficult, and uh, that's why, you know, if I had the chance to play again, they could have seen me and they could have remembered me and, and know that uh, he, their dad done everything that he achieved on the, on the pitch as well, not just watching it from YouTube on the, on, on, on the internet. Is it right that your oldest lad is a decent little player himself now? Is he, is he with Solly Moors? He's, yeah, he's with Solomon Moore, so he's uh, he's all right. He's he, ch- he had a change of hearts. He he tried as a goalkeeper, then he was outfield. He's back to a goalkeeper now. He's one of these stages. I support him with everything he does. He's a good character, and uh, you know what? He may have a chance. He may not have a chance. I say, as long as you try and you believe that what you can do, the opportunity may come. But you have to be patient. How old is he now, Stan? Seventeen. Is he blimey? You don't call seventeen-year-old son. Listen, Matt. He's, you know, I used to be stronger in a gym than him. I used to be faster than him. I'm not. I'm not even near that anymore. He's running. He's running. He's faster than me now. He, I go to run with him, and he's he's way ahead of me. So he's not good. They grow up faster than them. I've got a 12 year old lad, and he's already taller than me, and he can beat me in arm wrestles and stuff like that. So he's going to be, be taken. To be honest, up. to be honest, Matt, that's not hard. To be honest. 
<laughs> to be faster than you. Come on. Where did you meet Paulina? And was it love at first sight? Yeah, I met I met Polina in the nightclub. Obviously, I was a wild boy when I was in Bulgaria. I was young. Uh, I was Bulgarian international. Uh, I come back for one of my international games, uh, Matt, and I've met her in the club. Uh, yeah, we fell in love uh, since the day one. Uh, I spoke with Polina. I met her that night, and that was about... Three, three o'clock in the morning uh, in a club. My flight uh, to Scotland was at half six. So from there, I just packed my bag and I straight in the airport, went straight to, um, back to the, the club. Uh, so by the time we, we, we met that night and for the following four months, I didn't go back to Bulgaria. So we were constantly speaking on the phone. Uh, it was actually love, and uh, we just felt it from from the first moment. And uh, you know, I'm glad that I've, I met her because she's been a, a very strong beside me. She's been a great help. She's been a great advisor and great mom as well, great wife. Which is sometime in life we try to find the perfect match, the perfect half, and I've managed to do that. And uh, you know, everything happened for a reason. We met that night, and we we never looked back. I think you've done well for yourself, yourself there, mate. I think she's done all right as well, hasn't she? She, she's a lucky lady, Matt. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't you start. She's a lucky lady. Oh right, I'm nearly done. I'm nearly done. What are you doing now? Not right now, but what are you doing with your life currently? And what's what's your next ambition, Stan? My phone is keep ringing him. I love that. <laughs> Popular man. Yeah, Gabby Bonaho just calling me. I just just need to need to answer. Bow answer after that. Yeah, no worries. No, I'm just joking. I'm joking. It's not him. After I, I retired, uh, Matt, it was a big dilemma for me what, what I wanted to do, uh, how I wanted to proceed with uh, with my future, uh, what was on the map for me. So I've put a plan for me to to undergo uh, going through my, all the coaching budgets. So I've comp- in the last four years, I've completed every single one of them, BA and the pro license. I went through a, a MIP course, which is a course for Master, master of International Players, master, um, sport management course, which uh, I wanted to give myself the best chance to stay in football, in not just in, uh, as, as a coach, but in a different, uh, different roles as well to manage to understand uh, the industry much better. At the moment, what I do, I'm involved in a, in a very interesting project. It's called Player for Player which we're trying to make the transition for former players and current, current players much better to avoid the mistakes that we've made and to give them the, the right guidance, mentoring and uh, opportunities to, to make that transition much smoother, much better in an easier way and to find better opportunities after they finish their, their careers. So do you see yourself back in full-time football and on a day-to-day basis as a manager or a coach? or Where did you do all your badges, Stan? I've done it in Ireland. Uh, I've done it there. It's uh, it took me four years, which is it's a long time. If you look at Matt, you know, if you want to do all your coaching budgets, if you have the the right education, if you have to, if you want to give yourself the best chance uh, that you you can have in in coaching, you have to go through, go through stuff like that. I want to be a person who. Uh, people don't find excuses about. Uh, I want to make sure I do it in the right, right way, step by step. 
I'd love to go back to football um, one day, and that's the, that's why I've done all these steps. Um, would I like to do it? Yes. Uh, there's opportunity came across. I had a couple of opportunities. I didn't find the right one, but I always believe, and I always been positive, as you know me, and I believe that uh, it's a train for every passenger, and I'll, I'll wait for mine. Mine will come. I'm quite patient. Uh, I'm prepared. I'm ready. And if that opportunity comes, I'm ready for it. So when you're Aston Villa manager in five years' time, you're going to have an open-door policy for all the press. We can come and sit come and sit in Bodymore with you, a nice cup of coffee, and you can uh, tell us everything, yeah? I, I would love that. I would love that, Matt. But uh, going back to, to Villa, you know, the boys started the season well. Uh, they've picked up some great victories. They've not been as consistent as, as we wanted to, to see them. But I think it's much positive start for the boys uh, uh, from the last two or three seasons. This is the very last one you'll be relieved to get, re- relieved to know because I know you want to go and order yourself an Indian. Uh, I'll, tell you what, I'll tell you what, if I have a beer next time, you better send me that mug. We'll never finish. I'll, I'll, I think I owe you about 10 beers for a given time. <laughs> so when we're allowed to, when the world's a better place, I'll, I'll come and buy you a beer. Um, I'd love to. Right. What is the significance of the number 19? You know, sometimes as, as a players, as a individuals, we, we have like a superstitious. Uh, ever, uh, number nine and one, I've got it in, in my... I was married on the 9th of June. Um, uh, I uh, signed for Celtic in 1999. Uh, uh, so uh, I kind of have that number 19 as a, as a superstition. Uh, I've started it up at, up at Celtic. Uh, I've played really well with it. I felt that it's like a, a little talisman for me. So I, want, I always wanted to play number 19. And it's funny enough, it's sometimes you find something that you get hold on and you think it's working for you and you stick with it. That, that was me with the, with the number 19. And you know what? It's good to see now sometimes I, I go back to Bulgaria and I see a lot of young kids playing with number 19. And every time I ask the question or somebody else asks them a question and they say, well, we would like to be like Steven Petrov. And he was playing like a number 19. So, you know, you leave a little bit of a legacy, some kind of legacy that actually some young kids uh, relate to, which is a great thing to see. But for me, it's more like a look and little superstitious, I, I, I'll say. Well, I think um, the number 19 will always be synonymous with Stylian Petrov and Aston Villa, as will the fact that you're just a really, really humble, friendly, articulate... Uh, you, you know all this, you know all this. So. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for giving us so much, so much, so much of your time. I've enjoyed it. I hope you didn't mind the kind of random way that we've kind of told bits of your career and and you know got you back in touch with, with Villa fans who I know respect you and love you and really really proud that you that you've represented our football club so well over the years. So um, all all that remains to say uh, in the in the in this podcast is. Thanks for your time. Have a brilliant Christmas. Hope 2021 treats you and your family really well. Hope you all stay healthy. And I promise you, I will buy you that point in the new year, mate. I wish you all the best on a festive season. Happy Christmas. And I hope uh, and I wish everyone a lot of happiness and health. Thank you for listening to Claret and Blue, an Aston Villa podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. Until then, up the villa.